0: You're listening to Music Tectonics.
1: Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech, where we think B2B music tech is hot where we cringe when LinkedIn posts start looking more like Facebook, and where we look forward to music and tech conferences as much as college kids going to their first music festival. I'm your host, I'm Dimitri Vitsa. I'm also the CEO and founder of Rock, Paper, Scissors. We are a music tech PR firm. And as you know, we've got the Music Tectonics Conference coming up and we're bringing you some of our speakers and sponsors and partners into the podcast so you can get a sense of what's gonna be happening there. And I'm excited today because I've got our colleague and buddy, Daryl Ballantyne. He's the CEO and founder of Lyric Find. Daryl, how's it going? It's going pretty well. It's going pretty well. Thanks for having me on. How's Toronto today?
0: It's, it's a beautiful day, actually. It's like our last, uh, our, our last gasp of, of niceness before a cold,
1: miserable winter. Well, I'm glad you get a chance to enjoy that. It'll be I'm sure you'll get lots of work done this winter as well. <laughs> um so, Daryl, you've been in the music tech game for I don't know, 17 some years, you started Lyric Find back in 2004 and grew it to be what it is today, uh, the most ubiquitous B2B lyrics provider of the industry. And since you're very present at all the music industry conferences, I'm pretty sure 99% of our listeners already know who you are. So for today's episode, I was hoping maybe we could talk about a variety of topics that'll probably come up at the Music Tectonics Conference coming up October 26th through 28th and get your perspective on them. Are you game? Absolutely, bring it on! All right, I'm just going to kick right in. Let's start with social video. That we're going to have a couple of sessions. We've got folks from TikTok and Triller, and I'm sure it'll come up in other sessions. What do you think about the role social video is playing in the music industry these days? I mean, I think social video is becoming one of the biggest uh, hit-making
0: machines that's available in the industry right now. When you think about uh, videos uh, on those platforms that. Uh, become viral and become like the next sensation, that's what's breaking a lot of uh, of music hits now. And when it's short form videos like that, it really just feeds into the uh, the cycle of uh, short attention spans that mm-hmm. we are we are all stuck with right now. so it uh, it certainly caters to that that type of experience. So it's one of the the great, uh, the great discovery platforms that exist now.
1: Yeah. You know, one of the things that we're seeing from uh, some work we've done with Chartmetric is that music on the social video platforms are coming from more diverse origins. And that's been happening for a while with digital music. But this year, it seems like there's been another increase in that diversity. Music listening and sharing is becoming more and more borderless. We're going to do a session on that with Chartmetric and TikTok and some labels. Um, but that's, that, that must be influencing your work with lyrics as well in terms of this kind of borderless world. How's that impacting you?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're seeing more and more uh, uh, international presence uh, in everything that we do. And if you think about it, even from the social video aspect, looking back historically, one of the first beginnings of that was Gangnam Style, where that really blew up because of, of YouTube videos and fan generated videos. But that's that's what things like TikTok and and triller and others now are feeding into with, with social and that gives the the visibility and the opportunity for international uh music to to really reach the rest of the world uh so we've we've seen way more activity and diversity in the in the listening and and lyric experience as well uh and that's driven a lot of our our growth and our expansion plans where we're really pushing uh, for licensing uh, around the world. We have, uh, we have publishing representatives uh, on basically every continent. Uh, we're missing Antarctica, but uh, maybe, one, maybe one day. Uh, but w- we have people around the world that are clearing those rights. We have content teams that are around the world uh, transcribing the, those lyrics and building up the database uh, because that's where huge growth in demand is. Now, and you're know, being able to apply uh, the, the rights and the lyrics to it uh, and then pair that with lyric translations uh, as well, uh, it enables people around the world to really understand uh, international music uh, and, it, and it enables people to understand other cultures as well. So we think that is extremely important. Uh, not o- not only because of the trends in music consumption, uh, but also just in bringing the world together. Uh, it's it's so important and probably now more than ever, uh, to have an understanding and appreciation of other cultures around the world. And doing that through music and through lyrics
1: uh, just makes makes that experience so much better. Well, wow, as you were talking, it made me have a thought, you know like, one of the biggest challenges of a global music marketplace where music could be shared across national borders was, you know, the physical technology that music was recorded and distributed on. That is gone most for the most part, and so you have this easier exchange. And I think that's one of the reasons why social video has become such a borderless platform is because it doesn't even have to address the same types of things uh, that that a download service does. Um, now that that's a whole other complex <laughs> issue we could get into, but. Um, there's still this linguistic barrier, and you're right in terms of language that that language difference uh, across you know appreciation of music from different parts of the world. You sit at the center of that, and so it's really interesting to think about that translation issue, or even just having the lyrics so people can explore and understand them and get that kind of cultural context that goes beyond just the 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 modes and the rhythms. Um, that that uh, really is interesting to see where that that will that translation and, and just the availability of lyrics will lead to, given that we now have this ability to flow music across borders.
0: Yeah, and if, if you think about the way that the global industry is set up from a, a hits perspective too, it's something that f- for us the, in North America, we don't necessarily think about as much as the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the world's hit music is still predominantly English. And when you go, when you go around the world, you see a lot of the same songs. Uh, you know, Taylor Swift is huge everywhere. Drake is huge everywhere. But not everywhere understands what they're saying. Uh, and it, we're lucky to be English speakers in, in a world where popular music is predominantly English. Other people are not, and they need that level of uh, of understanding uh, to connect with it rather than just, you know, Frankly, mindlessly singing along with it and mouthing along, not knowing what the meaning is. Right. Uh, I think if if we put ourselves in the shoes of uh, of non English speakers and imagine what would what would we feel like if every hit song and every every major song that, w- that was played uh, globally was like Gangnam Style or Despacito or things that that. Uh, that were non English and not in a language that we would necessarily understand. I mean, a lot of your listeners may may understand Spanish more than I do, hmm. uh, but uh, you know, it, it creates a disconnect between the listener and the culture. Uh, and and it, it's really, in a way, a way, uh, a system of marginalizing uh, people. Uh, and if we can if we can help them to understand and connect with the music more, that creates uh, a much more intimate connection between listener and fan. Mm-hmm. Opens up a whole bunch of new opportunities for artists because of that, right. uh, and it, and it creates a whole bunch of opportunities for those of us who are
1: English speakers to really connect with uh, international music uh, as well. So. Yeah, I mean just thinking about the democratization of music use and music sharing as a result of social video is kind of interesting. It's like if you are a you know, a user of one of these social video platforms and you want to step across cultural boundaries, you don't have to worry about or I shouldn't say worry, you're not really blocked by the traditional music discovery that used to take place on commercial radio or non-commercial radio where, you know, you're at the you're kind of at the limits of whatever your curator, your DJ, or your program director on a commercial radio station is offering you. Now you have access to everything and you're dancing to it and you're lip syncing to it, or you're showing your family or your pets, or you're doing stunts or skits or whatever it is. So it's really interesting to see that those global sources of music are, you know, with the gates, the gatekeepers kind of gone. They're just kind of naturally organically showing up.
0: Yeah, if you look at like what are the, the top songs on on a social video site based on pure consumption, there's going to be an a huge influence from large population areas like India or China or places like that that we're not used to seeing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, in some respects we still do obviously have have gatekeepers where those services will filter towards popularity in, in your country or in your language or that. But the capability is there to really open it up to pure uh, global popularity uh, and expose people to a lot of other uh, international music that they wouldn't otherwise
1: hear. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting to think about the fact that social video really took off in another part of the world and, and to think about, well, what else is happening in other parts of the world that will make its way to Europe and America, make it west. Um, last year, one of the most striking takeaways at the Music Tectonic Conference was Mark Mulligan's keynote, where he said that monetizing fandom will be the next big revenue stream for music, and that it's already happening in Asia. And We see it a lot now with gaming, and, and the music industry is becoming more exposed to it with things like Twitch, because there are these Purchasable digital goods and experiences that kind of upgrade your identity and experience within a Twitch feed, but it hasn't really taken full hold in the Western music markets. I'm curious about your thoughts on on this. On Mark's prediction, are there you know, and are there opportunities to integrate lyrics into that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think virtual goods, uh, especially in North America, are a really big
0: untapped market relative to the rest of the world. Uh, you've got. Uh, whether whether it's stickers or emojis or or things like uh, lyric snippets or lyric sheets, especially in a music focused uh, area of a social network, it, it's something that has a huge potential uh, to boost the market uh, and boost, in the case of lyrics, uh, revenues for songwriters uh, and uh, and take advantage of that. There's you know, there the monetization of things like like virtual goods obviously is uh it's an incredible margin for uh for the people that are providing it uh and that includes the the rights holders and you know i I think that when you look at uh, a social social video service again to just whatever we continue to go back to that Mm -hmm. but it's it's such a huge part of the industry right right now you've got uh people who are uh, who, who are trying to record their own version of whatever the the latest viral song it is? you know, they need the lyrics to do that and make sure that they get it right. Lest they be incessantly mocked by all of their friends and other people uh, and enemies, I guess on, on the the network. So, you know, why not have an opportunity to buy a copy of the lyrics of whatever viral video you're, you're watching uh, as a, uh, as a virtual good so that you can record yours and get it right uh, why not be able to send that to to a friend use that in in all social media share sharing it sending it to to friends having uh, lyric stickers uh, things like in messaging apps and uh, and others look there's a lot of possibilities there uh, that really have a have a great market potential and
1: very low risk
0: as well. It would be effectively found money for, uh, for everybody involved.
1: Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting to see where where that goes, and we have a couple of panels at the conference that'll kind of get into that, mostly on the futurist front. You know, like where where is this going to go? Um, All right, I'm going to change gears. Uh, As always, we'll have a music tech investor panel at Music Tectonics, and this year we're doing our first music tech startup pitch competition. It's called Swim with the Narwhals. It's uh, it's a differentiator from Shark Tank. It's not quite as (laughs) high pressure (laughs) and evil, Um, but we do have judges. From union square ventures um which invested in splice soundcloud kickstarter twitter uh so far sounds uh we've got some you know zach katz is coming back from raised in space uh nwa founding member and tech investor arabian prince so those judges will be able to give the five startups that make it into the competition some feedback on the spot but um you've gone through this what's what what's your sense about the current appetite for music tech investment right now yeah i think Realistically, a lot of music tech investment—the
0: appetite hasn't changed a lot over the last while, with with maybe a few exceptions, uh, because when you're dealing with uh, an an industry that requires a lot of rights and has has rights issues, obviously, it's very difficult to grow a a large scale successful business. And you look at uh, at VC funds, and they're looking for uh, they're they're looking for a unicorn and realistically who is the next unicorn uh, in in the music business uh, and I don't, I'm not sure that there is one on, on the horizon so it makes uh, investing very difficult uh, in this this industry as a result uh, so I think I think it's tough uh, you know there, there's some notable exceptions a uh, a Mandolin just announced a five million dollar seed round in live streaming, which uh, it obviously is having uh, a revival through COVID right now, and, and and a five million seed, not even they're not even calling it a Series A, is super impressive that they've been able to to do that. But in in a lot of music tech businesses, you're either dealing with rights. Or you're selling to the you know, you know, the stereotypical starving artist who doesn't have a lot of money, uh, so it's very hard to scale those those businesses uh, in either scenario. Uh, so I think it, it's difficult. I think there's a lot of cool things that uh, that could be done, uh, but but scaling it uh, in the industry is very. Is very hard, and thus it tends to turn off a lot of investors. When you talk to a lot of VCs, and you're in you're in music, and I hear it from startups a lot that you say, "Oh no, we we don't touch music." Uh, there, the streaming side of it is dominated by a few big players, and nobody's interested in in competing with them or funding a competitor for them. And a lot of the time, it's very difficult to get rights for something that is different than that uh, and it turns off a lot of a lot of investors and uh, ideas die uh, before they have a have a chance
1: yeah it's 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 interesting to think I mean I think that was what you know there's a whole phase of people who wanted to kind of compete in the streaming side and raise money around that and that happened a little bit and then I think you're right that 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 investors lost, lost appetite to to, to to play the the, the kind of the I don't know the the. It reminds me of one of those like uh, uh, weapons deterrence type wars where you're building up as much as possible. You have to have a huge bank to to play that game. But the, but you're right. You saw mandolin, um, caffeine, the the uh, kind of rap battle uh, and esports uh, live streaming thing raised 113 million dollars. So there's there's stuff happening, but it's it's it is more particular. And it usually has a bit of a different angle on it. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, the other thing is people are always looking to find out, okay, so who's a music tech investment company we can go for? And there aren't very many of those. <laughs> it's yeah,
0: more... I, I think from an investment perspective, like a lot of music tech startups should be looking for strategic investors. Look for people in the industry who can benefit from what you're doing and who are very complimentary. And, you know, target people as a strategic in, investor that is invest that is, that is. Uh, has a, a vested interest in, in seeing you succeed for their own good regardless of uh, of your profitability and there there may be a lot more opportunities there than through traditional VC
1: hmm. are you talking about record labels
0: uh, record labels are certainly part of it I know that it, you know a bunch of them have have built up uh, investment arms and and that's amazing like they're uh, they're obviously, at the forefront of uh, most music uh, innovation, regardless of whether whether they like it or not, because they're the ones who, who own the the content. But you know, there's there's opportunities for uh, you know, streaming services may there may be a feature that or there may be content that would be really useful for them them to have that they don't want to build on the on their own. Uh, PROs or other rights management uh, companies uh, could. There's always improvements that can be that can be made there, uh, it, and there, there's other uh, there's other parts of the in- industry outside of rights as well uh, that you may be able to build a nice business out of it, but it might not be uh, VC unicorn scale. So uh, I, I think that there needs to be more of a shift towards people looking at strategic investors uh, in in the space because. They're more likely to have something that works.
1: Well, and we've certainly seen um, the streaming services acquiring, if not investing, in some some companies. Uh, you know, on the uh, the the creator side, Spotify's snapped up some some companies in in kind of marketplaces for bringing producers together, podcasters together, all all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's that's a good point. And then on the live side, I mean, unfortunately, if they didn't invest before this pandemic, uh, I don't know that they've got necessarily the bank accounts to do those investments now, but um, it'll be interesting to see how the ticketing companies, the large promotion companies, uh, all those folks that are, you know, even the talent and booking agents, the larger agents, um, how they will pivot with some tech investment around, you know, social distancing requirements and live streaming and and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. I mean, live streaming is certainly uh, an area that uh, has its moment now to really Make its pre- presence known uh, to uh, to the general public. Like it was something where you look at a company like like Stage It that has a, has a great platform and uh, is a really good opportunity for artists. But it kind of floated along, and never getting the the true exposure that it, it deserved. And then COVID hit, and mm-hmm. now uh, they've been able to be hugely successful uh, and have huge growth in this period. And the more that they can get, uh, get a live concert experience that, like that into and embedded into the into the psyche of the general public as this is something that uh, is cool and is fun for me to do, uh, then when even when you can go back to uh, live shows in twenty thirty five or whenever that ends up being, uh, then it's there and it's established and it becomes a normal thing to do. Uh, So this is, this is the chance for that. And this is uh, something where a company uh, can, if they can break through to that level, uh, they have true long-term sustainability and it like the live streaming platforms can be extremely economical uh, for artists. Uh, it's way cheaper than going on tour. Yeah. Uh, it's great for uh, for one-offs or things like that as as, as well, where they want to just uh, uh, just do one particular show uh, and not have to have a huge production uh, around it or more intimate shows. There's there's so many possibilities there. It just needs to be normalized, and this yeah. is the time for that to happen.
1: You know. Um we we did a bunch of podcasts on live streaming and platforms early on in the pandemic and you know prior to that it seemed like live streaming was kind of like a stepchild of the music industry there's a couple areas i would say live streaming and mixed reality both were kind of like stepchildren of the music industry just because there was some great innovative ideas around it but they never really got treated fully like part of the system and part of the the family of things that you do do you think live streaming is here to stay? If if we can get this uh, this pandemic under control and get back to in real life concerts, um, do you think live streaming will stick around?
0: I really hope so. Uh, I think it. I don't think it replaces a true live experience, uh, but uh, it it can give you an opportunity to get much much more up close and personal with artists than you would ever be able to do when if you're. You're seeing a live stream of them uh, from really like right up on, on the stage. It creates way more accessibility geographically. There's lots of people who live in areas that artists will never tour to. Uh, and, and as people flee the cities during uh, the pandemic right now, that's only increasing. Mm. Uh, so there, there's a, a whole un, unserved market there of fans that, can never really get to see uh, their favorite bands live or even bands that they're, that aren't their favorites. They, they have no options for it. So it creates an opportunity for them to get a lot closer to that. And, uh, and it creates an opportunity for the bands uh, to serve those people
1: mm-hmm. and,
0: and to have an economical way of generating income off of those people. You're not going to go and uh, you Tour the tour the Northwest Territories or Yukon or something like that. Like it just doesn't happen, uh, really much. But yeah, you know, there's people there. There's people everywhere, everywhere, uh, and there the live streaming platforms give people the opportunity to reach those, and it creates an opportunity to create a more immersive live experience too. Not even just looking at like, being up close and personal and having that 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 close video but you know there's opportunities for uh two-way communication you can have uh even like a request of what's going to be next on the set list for example driven by the people on the live live stream um stage it has tipping uh built in and things like that that open up a whole lot of possibilities even from the the lyrics perspective if you can show the lyrics uh for the songs being performed that people then at home can follow along and sing along and have a great more, uh, a much more immersive experience. And if they're international, show the translation with it as well, and have them be able to customize. I'm in uh, in France, listen to it. Show me the French French translation. I'm in uh, in China. Show me the Mandarin uh, translation, and and create those those experiences and those connections and that revenue stream uh, for those artists.
1: Hey, I'm glad you keep bringing up Stage It because they're actually a supernova sponsor of Music Tectonics. Their CEO, (laughs) Stephen White, will be at the conference. Um, uh, We're doing a live streaming panel. Uh, There's a Stage It artist, Cy Smith, who will be there, who we can get a perspective from an artist on that. Um, Kelly Richards is uh, moderating that. Panel and Matthew Adele from onnow.tv will be there. It's a uh, kind of like a we've had Matt on the uh, podcast. He he's um, it's like a TV guide for any kind of live streams. So that'll be cool. Um, Those are all wonderful people. Yeah, I, folks that we meet up at you know with at these conferences. So it's great that we're going to get to be all all together at Music Tectonics. Um, you know we've seen a ton of growth in some other verticals. Uh, one I would say is the fitness space in terms of music. Uh, you know obviously like you said, people are going out of town. People are also also buying fitness equipment and they're working out at home and uh, from from you know from spin cycle bikes to s- smart mirrors to musical punching bags literally there's some there's a couple of companies that for <laughs> punchy bags that have in rowing that all have music and, and gaming for that matter too gaming and music continues to grow as a nice pairing so we've got these verticals that are kind of like you know music just makes all the difference there. What do you see as the special needs to integrate music into these applications in gaming and fitness?
0: Can I get a punching bag that's personalized with like maybe my least favorite politician on it or <laughs> yeah. something? That would that... Audio. like there, There's got to be an opportunity there.
1: Well, uh, would that be a Canadian politician or an American one? Uh, an American one. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah.
0: It's, 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 not, it's not not hard to... That, that out, I'm outside the U.S., therefore, you can uh, <laughs> you know what what the rest of uh, my views are. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's there's huge uses and opportunities for music in in those areas. Uh, I mean, obviously, like a company like Peloton has been uh, making great use of music in the in the fitness area. Area gaming is always uh, played in the music space uh, as well. But one of the things that I think is super important in, in both of those that uh, and, and for any uh, vertical that is outside sort of pure music, is being able to understand and evaluate uh, appropriate music uh, more. You, hmm. playlisting, recommendations, musical analysis, and that. And obviously you look at uh, look well, fitness, you're going to want to find music that feeds, Uh, the right energy that has the right, the right, uh, BPM that has the, and and maybe build up to a point. Uh, so you're, you're, you need to analyze the music a lot more than a traditional streaming service uh, would, for example, and you want to build up, uh, build, build up, build up the, the, the beats, the energy and the emotion and everything else to tie along with the, the goal of, uh, of the fitness session or also of the game to whether it's setting the mood. It's like with, with, with gaming, for example, it can be similar to music supervision, obviously, where you're trying to set the mood through the music, but you want to make sure as well that uh, you're the content that you're choosing in the music that you're, that you're choosing, uh, isn't going to uh, piss anybody off uh, or, or offend people. So you you take for example one of one of the projects that we've been working on uh, is, is a product called Lyric IQ, and Lyric IQ is analysis uh, of the content of music uh, based on the lyrics. So we're looking at emotional constructs within the, the lyrics to quantitatively uh, analyze what is the level of anger in this, what is the level of happiness, sadness, and and factors like that. What is the overall positive or negative sentiment so being able to look at those and say okay a song uh, like pumped up kicks that sounds like it's a happy fun fun song and is a bit more upbeat well it's actually about a school shooting so it's not it's an angry song and it's it's maybe not the right song for for your workout or uh or for your your game uh and looking at uh at other content filtration that is uh, much more than just looking at does this lyric say shit in it, right? Mm. Like it's the profanity filter is outdated. There are so many different things mm. that people want to, uh, to either prioritize or deprioritize in music based on what their, who their audience is. And when you've got a general audience, whether that's in a, uh, a, a, a fitness scenario, a gaming scenario, in-store music, uh, advertising or things like that. You want to make sure that the music that you're using isn't going to offend people because there is a, a an offensive religious reference in it or there is uh, references to drugs or violence or, um, uh, or sex or things that you might not even recognize are what this is. Uh, something that is maybe sensitive content, and maybe we don't want to be using uh, this uh, this music in in our service uh, because we want to we will, we want to play it safe uh, on here. It's not when it's a, a push scenario where you're picking the music for everybody to listen to. There's a lot of things you may want to filter out: politics, songs that reference uh, reference various politicians or or issues or or things like that. So, uh, you know, part of lyric IQ is, is content filters designed to tell you, you know, what is the rating of violence or sex or, or regular profanity or gambling? Or We have 23 different categories that we're, uh, that we're rating music on based on the content of the lyrics. So when you, when you take that information and pair that with additional musical analysis, uh, like beats per minute and, and, Genre and that you're able to get much much more effective uh, playlisting for uh, a fitness application or a game or or other verticals where they they're not necessarily interested in spending a ton of time evaluating music uh, nor should they be right it's not their it's not not their core it's mm-hmm. something that complements the experience
1: yeah well that's that's really interesting to to think about um you know as as your kind of um, uh, evaluation tools using lyrics have become more complex, it really brings some new use cases for lyrics that are beyond just presenting the lyrics but but really uh, become integral into the curation and, and choices and, the, and ultimately the experience, because that's really what it is in fitness and gaming is what experience are you creating for users. Um, and uh, it, it'll be interesting to see where that goes with how much you can do. There's been so much done and talked about in the music industry with AI and machine learning around music discovery and music matching and all that kind of stuff. And it'll be interesting as the lyric side continues to get adopted for additional context.
0: Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of great music analysis out there that's based on the audio and how a song sounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're the only ones that have done analysis based on the content of the lyrics and, and what the song is actually about on a, on a large scale. And, you know, it's kind of the missing piece of what is the overall picture of this this music and this piece of music, and do we want to use it uh, in our service or not, and is it going to fit uh, our goals and objectives for music uh, in our service, whatever that service may be?
1: Well, this is this is so fun, Daryl, because you're clearly a fan of the industry. If it if it involves lyrics, you can you can talk about it. But it also, there's so many other things that we've been talking about that don't necessarily have to do with lyrics, but just because you're you're part of the kind of the scene, you're you're watching all these other pieces come together and and understand the nuance of, of that. You know, so this has been a blast. But before we wrap up, are there other companies in the music tech scene that you're keeping an eye on? Anything we haven't talked about? Uh,
0: there's a few. I mean. Sometimes companies, sometimes verticals. Obviously, I'm I, I'm keenly interested in the, the live streaming space and and the long term sustainability of that. I really hope that that works out and plays out, out well. Uh, I, I'm interested to see. You know, we talked a little bit about about VR and things like that. Uh, Melody VR and their acquisition of of Napster and being able Melody VR being able to use the platform of Napster to get there technology out to a lot of people. Uh, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. Uh, they've got some really cool stuff that they can do and, uh, it's kind of begging for an audience and now they they've acquired that. Um, also, you know, another thing on the, on the vein of live streaming that has its opportunity and its moment now in a COVID world to prove its case is, uh, is remote collaboration tools for music creation. And you've got companies like Note Tracks or Audio Bridge uh, that are, are working really hard to, to crack that that nut and have a, a, a viable tool for people to remotely collaborate and create music. Uh, and if they can if they can get that working really well, uh, and and they're really on their way to being able to do that then that's something that can stick around long-term and become a, a core part of the music creation pro- process and have uh, those companies do really well and, and be long-term sustainable and, and collaborate uh, across huge geographic differences. Those, those, those types of uh, software packages can change the way music is created uh, long-term. Uh, and open up so many more possibilities and you know you tie it back into what we were talking about with uh you know borderless music and and international uh language and culture and that and those types of tools that would go a long way to really accelerating that uh as well to have those cross-cultural collaborations and be able to create them uh which without them, are very, very difficult uh, from a financial perspective. So there's, there's a lot of, uh, of great globalization uh, aspects and, and technology uh, plays out there for new technology that uh, I'm really fascinated in seeing how they play out and uh, you know, rooting for them to be super successful.
1: Yeah, that, yeah, there's there's so much interesting stuff. And it's so weird. There's so many challenges of this pandemic and lockdown and sheltered home stuff. But there's also these interesting opportunities that are pushing so many things forward. We didn't get into the mixed reality VR stuff as much. You mentioned Melody VR, who spoke at the conference last year. We do have uh, a mixed reality session in music. Um, we've got one of the co-founders of Beat Saber, uh, the CEO of Tribe XR, which is a DJ mixed reality uh, thing. We were talking about gaming. We've got um, uh, the the head of music at Roblox. We've got somebody, Michelle Brissau from Activision, who's been heavily involved with music um, going back to the Guitar Hero days, but is still putting out games. Um, And so a lot of this stuff comes together at the Music Tectonics conference. I'm curious to ask you, Daryl, what are you hoping to get out of the conference? I mean, I I think one of the Biggest things is
0: you know kind of accelerating the stuff that we that we've talked about and getting to know uh, all the new companies that are out there that we don't necessarily hear about on uh, on TechCrunch or Music Business Worldwide or Music Alley or places like that. I mean, last year at Music Tectonics, we were able to meet so many great new startups uh, that were there and and learn about what they're they're doing and uh, how we can help, whether it's uh, uh, through a lyric license or just through introducing them. To, the to the right person and trying to help build the industry uh that was that was one of the great things uh about the conference last year and i'm looking forward to meeting a lot of those people uh again this this year uh and of course you know seeing all the people that uh that uh, that i haven't gotten to see in seven months uh and counting so having those, those connections and those conversations with people as you you mentioned off the top of the show that usually at uh uh at a lot of conferences so i'm clearly going through withdrawal symptoms from that (laughs) me too you know i haven't been on a plane in in seven months and Ah. uh, that so it's uh, that human connection my wife is wondering why i'm still around like (laughs) what why haven't i left for uh, for a bit but uh there's no place to go (laughs) There's no place to go and uh,
1: get get used to it. You, you know, know. Daryl, we Draft met in. we met at music industry conferences. I think we met at a yeah. South by once. I actually interviewed you and in somebody else's. Podcast or booth, and then we we met at um, SF Music Tech. Ted Cohen reintroduced yeah. us when we started working together on PR and stuff. And so I'm the same as you, and I'm I, I want you to know, Daryl, and everyone that's listening, we're working really hard at Music Tectonics, the conference, to make it feel more like a real in-person conference. There's been so much that happened since the pandemic, which are you know listening to people talk on Zooms, and if you're lucky, you get to chat and get a question in. It's really hard to network, um, and the the conference technology we're using actually allows for one to one videos there's a networking room where every panel will be 45 minutes and then there'll be 15 minutes of networking throughout the the two main days of the conference so you'll get to do these one to one video chats and um uh, we're also going to have an opening and closing party in an avatar-based world where you have audio on spatial audio. So as you see an avatar with somebody's name you recognize, you can run over to them, hey Daryl, let's 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 talk, and you can go grab a chair and have a private chat with their avatar. Anyway, Daryl, I'm really I'm really looking forward to trying that out. By the way, I haven't awesome. I haven't done that in any of the
0: other con- conferences like the online events, yeah. and that's the thing that I miss the most about in-person conferences is being able to just have those one on one random uh conversations so i really hope that 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 the that your platform that you're using works really really well cuz that would be uh, amazing and yeah. huge difference.
1: Well, we've got two platforms. The opening and closing party are this avatar thing and then the uh, the main conference is more of like a video chat, but you can video chat with anybody in the conference. You just send them a text through the through the platform. Plus there's these speed networking chat roulette style things where you just get five <laughs> minutes on the clock with somebody. And if you're bored, you just leave. If you're into it, you, know, you can then chat with them directly and set up another video chat within the conference platform. Anyway, Daryl, this has been a blast. I love talking with you about all this stuff. It's so much fun. And I'm really excited you're going to be at the conference meeting with folks. You'll have a booth. You'll be presenting on new revenue streams. It's going to be great. I'll have an avatar. You'll have an avatar. We'll see what what, uh, (laughs) hairstyle you can pick and go from there. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. COVID hair. All the way. (laughs) Well, it's been great having you on the podcast. Thanks for joining. I'll see you in a couple of weeks at the conference. Thanks so much for having me on, Dimitri. Always a pleasure likewise and thank you for listening to the podcast go over to musictectonics.com. if you hurry up right when this publishes you can still join in to compete to to be a part of the startup pitch competition and get feedback from real vcs um so check that out and also sign up for our newsletter and uh you'll get information about our podcast about the conference and everything else we do hope to see you at the conference keep listening